0: Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And today we have a packed and eventful episode for you. Uh, there's a ton going on in the Premier League. There is MLS had an eventful week, and we have you know their tournaments getting to their final stages. Uh, so it will be packed. We'll try and get through it all. Uh, we can start in the Premier League. With major major news uh, coming out of London, it is Chelsea finally finding a new owner. Uh, a consortium of Todd Boley, Mark Walter, and Han Viss, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, have agreed to a 3.1 billion dollar purchase of Chelsea Football Club. Uh, their combined net worth is 13.4 billion US dollars, which uh, combined is higher than Abramovich uh, at about 8.7 billion US dollars. And they have also pledged a 2.2 billion dollar investment into the club. Uh, so this this uh, deal is still subject to government and Premier League approval, but everything looks good. And you know, we were worried that Chelsea wouldn't necessarily get the same investment under new owners that they got under Abramovich because we know Abramovich likes to spend like basically nobody we've ever seen. Uh, but it seems that they will get the the cash injection that they need.
1: Yeah, I mean. I think the whole goal for them has to be to try to get to the levels of Manchester city and Liverpool, which at the moment we know they're just not despite the fact that they won the champions league last season. But um, you know, everybody expected them to, to mount a title charge this season. And that never really materialized. So, you know, the worry for Chelsea fans was with the new owner, with the whole Abramovich debacle that they wouldn't get that money to, to then try and get to city and Liverpool's level. Um, Cause they're going to need, some improvements for sure to get up there. Um, So yeah, this is definitely big, good news for Chelsea fans. The whole situation with Russia and Abramovich doesn't seem to be hurting the club going forward. Um, And, and we'll see if they can spend this new cash injection wisely and, and really start challenging Liverpool and City, who at the moment are just a step above.
0: That is the question, right? Spending it wisely because... I can't name another time where you buy a hundred million dollar striker and he makes your team, uh, I don't know, worse, definitely not better. Um, And I think the first, the first question for these new owners is going to be at the end of the season, do they sack Tuchel? What, what are they going to do around there? Um, Because he might not win a single trophy this year. If he wins a trophy, I think that guarantees, you know, he'll stay. Um, But Abramovich loves sacking people. We don't know if the new owners are going to, St- stick with that idea or, you know, change uh, and, and become a different type of club. But uh, moving to another club that was recently bought in Newcastle, uh, their star, Alan St. Maximin, had a, a big quote uh, this week. He said, when I talk about the Ballon d'Or, it's a dream. I think any player dreams of winning the Ballon d'Or, it's a kid's dream. Uh, of course, I'm very far from the Ballon d'Or at the moment, but in terms of quality, I think I'm able to do it. Garrett, can Ellen St. Maximin actually win a Ballon d'Or?
1: No, but I mean, I don't have a huge problem with him saying that he wants to. Um, obviously, that's a lot of confidence coming from him, but you know he we know he has a lot of natural ability. I think the biggest problem for him is that you have Mbappe and Holland and Pedri and all these amazing other young players who I'd say are naturally gifted at a level a bit above Alan Saint-Maximin. So, you know, I don't fault him for the confidence. I don't fault him for saying, oh, that's his dream. That's what he wants to achieve. But I don't think he can win it, no.
0: I just think it's – I can name 10 players in the world at least uh, off the top of my head that are younger and better than Alan Saint-Maximin. I just don't see that happening for him. But I, I like the confidence, as you say.
1: We can move into some results from the weekend, Justin, uh, some really big ones. Let's start with one of the headlines of the week, which was Manchester United on Saturday getting absolutely spanked by Brighton and Hove Albion at the Amex. 4-0 to the Seagulls. uh, Incredible results. It was goals from Moises Caicedo, Mark Cucarella, Pascal Gross, and Leandro Trossard, who had himself a day, by the way, with two assists on top of that fourth goal. Um, and just for United, we've been talking about Ragnick and Ten Hag. It's a team sleepwalking to the end of the season, but this is a level of embarrassment that we haven't seen from this club in decades upon
0: decades. You're absolutely right, Garrett. It is uh, really, really poor. I mean, to lose 4-0, look, on XG, it's not that bad. It's about 2-1. to one. So for once, Brighton overperforming their XG. But to concede four goals uh, to Brighton and just get outplayed, I mean really outplayed by a team that is supposed to be much worse than you, uh, it just shows the shambles that this club is in. Ten Hog has unbelievable work to do. The flip that he's going to have to do on this squad uh, is just ridiculous. You wonder... Uh, what Ronaldo's going to do, because you remember at the beginning of the season, Ronaldo said nothing below three will I settle for. I need to be in the top three of the league. Well, I got news for you. You're not making the top four. You're not in the Champions League. This is Man United's worst finish in decades uh, since I think 1981 or something like that. They haven't had this low of a points tally. Uh, it, it is just ridiculous how poor this club is performing. And I don't know what they're going to be able to do to turn it around right now.
1: I mean, get this, Justin. So Brighton have been significantly better away from home than at the MX. In fact, coming into this game, Brighton had only scored 12 goals at home this season. And then they put four past United. They scored a quarter of their goals at home in this game against wow. United. That wow. is mental. Because this is not just, you know, it's this is not going to some – potent team who have good forwards like Lester or something like that, you know, and getting spanked by Jamie Vardy. This is a team that consistently, if you ask anybody who watches the Premier league, you'd say over the past two, three years, Brighton's number one problem has been not putting the ball into the back of the net and you go right. and concede four goals to them with a four time champions league winning center back on the pitch. It's just, I don't, it's just mind boggling.
0: Speaking of that center back, can we call him a flop now? I mean, it has not worked out to plan at all. Uh, none of their center backs are, are of a Premier League class, it seems, because they, they just get ripped apart. I mean, here McGuire was benched, who's supposed to be, you know, their club captain and, and their center back. Varane was supposed to come in and partner him, but both of them have been terrible this season.
1: Yeah, Ragnick brought McGuire off the bench so that it wouldn't get any worse than four. <laughs> But yeah, no, Veron's totally been a flop. And, and I think the, the biggest winner out of the Veron transfer is Sergio Ramos because you kind of see oh, how, how much oh. this man carried Rafa Veron at Madrid.
0: Wow. That, that's an interesting point there. Uh, another big game in the title race uh, it was Liverpool against Tottenham at Anfield. It was a really good game. The first half was a little bit cagey, you know, Tottenham sitting a little bit deeper, uh, just trying to counter, but not really finding a way out, and Liverpool just not being able to capitalize on any chance. Uh, But then it was Son in in the 56th minute, finding the breakthrough to put Tottenham up 1-0. And you, I mean, as a City fan, I was very, very excited at this point, hoping that they can, you know, maybe hold on for a win. And a draw, I would take. That's what it ended up being, Luis Diaz, with a deflected goal Uh, in the 74th minute to, to rescue a point for Liverpool, but that is not the result that they needed uh, because they're chasing city right now. And it's not looking likely that city are going to drop points.
1: Yeah. I think this is a result that both of us were happy about Um, Liverpool. It's starting to slip away here. I mean, 22 shots, but they only got three on target. And Justin, the thing that kind of grinding my gears about this game was Jurgen Klopp's comments afterwards, which he's been getting Mm. a lot of stick for on the internet and rightfully so, because you see whenever someone plays a low block against Liverpool and they don't win the game, uh, he just complains about the tactics, complains about defending sitting deep. And it's like Jurgen Klopp, what do you expect teams to do come into Anfield and try to play expansive, crazy football and Basically that's suicide and you're just going to get blitzed because that's what Liverpool do. But if you can sit back and and make them only put three shots on target out of 22 and get bailed out by a deflection that completely unsighted Hugo Reese. I mean, I think just think it's ridiculous for Jurgen Klopp to expect anything else. And this is not the first time he's done it. And I'm glad that people are finally starting to call him out. Even Jamie Carragher calling him out because it's his comments are just narcissistic and a bit ridiculous.
0: Yeah, controversial. I, I believe he apologized that uh, for that in in criticizing Pep's comments uh, about Liverpool, though, which we will get to uh, in a minute. Speaking of Manchester City, though, they did batter Newcastle five nil uh, to put you know go three points up uh, on Liverpool in the table, uh, eighty six to eighty three points, and you know it's it's they have to win get seven more points from their next three games in order to secure that title. Uh, I don't see them losing a game and drawing two seems unlikely as well. So it is really uh, a big result uh, at Anfield for Manchester City. And then moving from the title race to the relegation battle, we had we had Norwich relegated a couple of weeks ago. It is now Watford officially relegated after losing one nil to Palace.
1: Yeah, I mean, disappointing for them, but at the same time, I think a lot of people saw this. I think Zisco Munoz is somewhere in Spain right now kind of shaking his fist because they sacked him when Watford were in 14th. You know, they they didn't really have a reason. That that was pretty good. 14th? So, I mean, we know that Watford just sacked managers just because, I guess, you know, they sack managers and vibe is their strategy going into Premier League seasons, and then they get relegated every time. So, I I just wonder, when are they going to learn their home form has been unbelievably bad. And when you're in a relegation race, when you're coming up from the championship, you need to rely on your home form to get you survival. And And they have just been atrocious at Vicarage Road. So they lose here at Salher's Park. That's all she wrote. And back down to the championship for the Hornets.
0: Yep. And then another club that sacked their manager uh, in the middle of a relegation battle. Leeds United sacked Marcelo Bielsa, brought in Jesse Marsh. He looked to be doing the job at first, but now, after losing 2-1 to Arsenal, uh, they have dropped back into the relegation zone. Thanks to your club, Garrett. Talk us through it.
1: Yeah, well, obviously, Arsenal needing this win um, in the race with Spurs for top four. You know, Spurs getting a point, is not exactly what we expected uh, from that game at Anfield, but I think it's definitely something Arsenal will still take. They're four points clear now. Um, And so even if they lose that North London derby, we've been hyping up for months, which is on Thursday, um, Arsenal still are in a good position considering their last two games are Villa and Everton. And Villa obviously have nothing to play for. Um, It seems quite possible that Everton will have already secured their safety by the final game of the season, knock on wood. Um, and, and so Arsenal, even if they lose at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Thursday, are in a very good position now. For Leeds, I mean, firstly, that Luke Ayling tackle was absolutely horrific. I don't know what he's thinking, and now his season is over. That is not what Jesse Marsh needed. Um, but to be fair, considering they were down to 10 men and down 2-0 within 10 minutes – And Leeds actually put in a pretty decent performance. They got a goal off a corner from Diego Llorente. Here's a stat for you, Justin. That was the first goal. Arsenal have conceded from a corner all season. Uh, My friends who are Gunners fans were talking about how they were corner invincibles. And then about three minutes later, Diego Llorente scores one at the back post. Um, but I, I think there were some positives for Leeds, but their run of fixtures is not looking great. They have Chelsea up next. So um, if they don't get anything from that game, which it seems likely they won't, th- then I, I think it will likely be Leeds staring at the drop at the moment.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, because as a US national team fan, I wanna see Jesse Marsha uh, stay in the Premier League and get the experience uh, that he needs. And then another couple big results in the relegation battle, Justin,
1: as you alluded to earlier, was Everton winning at Leicester. But before I talk about that, Burnley lost at home at Turf Moor against Villa, ending the purple patch that they've had since the sacking of Sean Dyche. Um, And and this is a bit of a wake up call for them losing 3-1 at home. And that one goal was really a, a consolation. And they still have to play Villa at Villa Park. So their fixtures also not looking great. Um, And now it seems to be between Leeds and Burnley for who will be uh, dropping down to the championship because Everton went to Leicester City, pulled off a 2-1 victory, their second in a row, um, and that pulled them a point clear of both Leeds and Burnley with a game in hand, which is already relegated Watford at Vicarage Road on Wednesday, Justin. But this win was absolutely massive for the Toffees. We had not won in an away game since Game week three against Brighton. That was eight months ago, uh, which is insane. And it was the first time we've won back-to-back Premier League games at all since September. Uh, it's hard to understate how crucial this kind of turn in form right now has been from Everton. And one of the main people to thank for that is Jordan Pickford, yet another man of the match performance um, incredible from him, made some outstanding saves yet again, just like we talked about against Chelsea and the traveling toffees, unbelievable. And, and I think one of the biggest stories coming from this, and this is what I've heard from Robbie Musto and from a bunch of pundits, um, that you know the real reason Everton are staying up is because of the fans and the fact that they have dragged this team, which looked lifeless, which after that Burnley defeat looked like they were nailed on to go down and, and they've dragged them up into some better form, two unlikely victories. And the traveling toffees were in the King Power singing for an hour after full time when there was not a single Leicester fan left in the stadium. So just some amazing scenes. And Justin, I just have to say, how about that volley from Vitali Minkolenko, the Ukrainian left back, puts a ball out of the air. First time from a Wobies cross. Schmeichel, not a che- You couldn't, I don't think two goalkeepers would have saved that.
0: Yeah, his first goal for Everton, uh, an incredible goal and a massive goal uh, at that. We talk about the MLS goal of the week all the time. That was the Premier League goal of the week. Uh, Undoubtedly uh, incredible for him and a fantastic moment uh, in his career, his young career. Um, Everton now, Justin, according to
1: 538, have a 10% chance of getting relegated. Leeds are at 50%, Burnley at 40%. Obviously, Leeds and Burnley both have three games remaining Everton with four and should they win against Watford on Wednesday? I think that would likely be enough for Everton to escape
0: relegation. Absolutely. That is a big game, obviously, against an already relegated club. Uh, Watford have nothing to play for and Everton have everything to play for. uh, So should be able to find the three points there uh, and find their third win in a row, which would be. Ah, uh, really impressive to see from Everton after what we have seen from them uh, this season. So, uh, congratulations to you, Garrett. It's looking like you're going to stay up, but hopefully, Burnley are the ones to go down. Uh, at least yeah, I agree with that.
1: I'm hoping for Burnley to go down as well. I, I want I want Leeds to stay up for sure, but also I'm not going to count my chickens just yet. They have not hatched. So, uh, if we get a, a result uh, on Wednesday, then you know that's when I'll start feeling a little bit more secure. As it is, you know anything can happen. Leeds were down to 10% a few weeks ago, and now they're the most likely to go down. So Mm. you never know in football. It's a crazy sport, but I'm definitely the most optimistic right now that I've been in months. So it's a good feeling. And then
0: moving to uh, Manchester City, who we alluded to earlier, Pep made some comments uh, about Liverpool. He said, everyone in this country supports Liverpool, the media and everyone. They have an incredible history in your Euro- European competitions, not in the Premier League because they have won one in thirty years. But I don't care. Uh, Klopp, we, we talked about Klopp's comments before. Pep got some hate for these comments. Um, Klopp himself criticized uh, these comments, but I mean, just Scheidhausery and just poking fun uh, at the bear, isn't it, from Pep Guardiola? Yeah,
1: and, and I think there is some truth in what he said. In what he said, I think. Absolutely. It's pretty impossible. It's a, it's pretty impossible to be a fan of the Premier league and not notice the bias towards Liverpool. Uh, I mean, even during the champions league midweek when, you know, they almost blew it against Villarreal um, in, in the second leg of the semifinal, when Real scored the second goal, you could hear the commentators sounded so deflated because it was not what they wanted to happen. Um, and, you know, obviously pep and Klopp kind of in some mind games at the moment about the comment of, Oh, most of the people in this country support Liverpool. I mean, most of the people outside of Liverpool support Liverpool uh, because there's nothing more scouse than being an Evertonian, which is a great quote. Uh, but I, I totally agree with the, the media bias. Although I think he's underestimating the blue half of Merseyside.
0: Well, yeah, that's what, that's what Klopp said. He said, well, 50, 50 in Liverpool, uh, which I'm sure that you would disagree. And that's with. generous. Yeah, that's generous. <laughs> but uh, but overall, yeah, and then a and uh, question was asked to Pep after after Wednesday's events, which by the way, we'll get to in a second. Uh, you must be ecstatic with that performance, uh, the, the Newcastle performance and that result in the score line. Uh, Pep said, did you have any doubts? Yes, you're a Liverpool fan. Come on. And the reporter said, no, United. Pep said, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, basically, <laughs> basically fifty percent Liverpool fans, fifty percent United so fans in the media. Uh, Pep is just having fun and it shows how relaxed he is. I mean, he's just, I've never, I mean, look, Pep has always had fun in his press conferences, right? He's always had a joke in him, Um, but this season, especially, he's enjoying himself and it's really fun to see, even when he's under pressure uh, as he is obviously needing to win these games, but he is just enjoying the moment.
1: Yeah. And especially, considering the absolute heartbreak which happened last week, which we will talk about in just a little bit. um, I think it is good to see him kind of lighthearted in his post-match comments. Obviously, a fantastic bounce-back performance against Newcastle, which will kind of help City move on from what happened at at the Bernabeu. But, Justin, the other huge news coming out of Manchester City – Earlier today, reports from David Ornstein and Fabrizio Romano. Here we going, Erling Haaland to Manchester City. We've been talking about it for months. We both said that's where we thought he would end up. And now that is what is going to happen. Uh, City have told Borussia Dortmund they will be activating his release clause and he will be getting a contract that is pretty much on the exact same level as that of Kevin De Bruyne through to 2027, locking down Haaland for five years. You must be over the
0: moon, Justin. Absolutely. You could say I'm over the blue moon, huh? Um, but no, with this transfer, I just didn't want to count my chickens before they hatched. As you were saying earlier, we both thought that Holland would go to Manchester City, but it was a long process. Uh, obviously, Real Madrid were in the, the race for him, Barcelona as well. But Barcelona couldn't really match the offer um, that City put forward which, as you mentioned, is basically what Kevin De Bruyne is going to get paid. Kevin De Bruyne is on about 375,000 pounds a week. Uh, Erling Holland will get about 350,000 pounds a week. So uh, very, very close to Kevin De Bruyne, but not breaking the wage structure there. Uh, There were reports that it might have, uh, as well as the release clause, Uh, has been reported to be €75 million for a long time, but Fabrizio Romano has told us it's going to be closer to €60 so even a little bit cheaper. Uh, But Real Madrid were giving a very similar offer. Mino Raiola, before his untimely death, was working very, very hard to get a similar offer from Real Madrid, which uh, he got. So it was simply uh, a case of Erling Holland choosing Manchester City over Real Madrid, and I think that is the big uh, statement here because, you know, Real Madrid are the historic club and City supposedly, you know, the little guy trying to become the big guy. Um, And Madrid accounts were trying to make excuses uh, immediately after the announcement saying, oh, well, injuries were an issue or that uh, Holland was worried about the competition at Madrid with Benzema and and Mbappe potentially coming in. None of these uh, were really true. It's just that Holland decided that he wanted to go to Manchester City um, this deal has been done for a couple weeks verbally, uh, but finally he he has passed his medical and Manchester City have informed Dortmund as you say, so it, it's now official. And the reasons uh, that early Holland chose the Manchester City project is first of all he he just likes the project, he thinks that it's going somewhere, um, and he also loves Pep Guardiola and thinks that. You know he will be there for a long time, which is you know alluding to a Pep Guardiola contract extension, which I think is very likely to happen as a result of this. Um, and then of course his father Alfie Holland played for Manchester City. Our uh, early Holland has been a Manchester City fan since he was a boy, uh, so to that of course is going to play a factor as well. Um, but when you just look at what this man has done, I mean. In his three years at Dortmund, he played 66 games with 61 goals and 15 assists. I mean, nearly a goal a game is a ridiculous uh, tally to have. You look at his uh, XG in those 61 goals, it was from 48 XG. So he's over, way overperforming his XG, meaning he's scoring more goals than uh, he would be expected to score with the chances that he's getting just a clinical finisher, exactly what uh, Manchester city need. And then I I just think it's going to be incredible to have Holland and Foden 2 21 year olds. I can't remember another time. We've had two uh, incredible talents this young in on the same team. I, in my opinion, two of the top five young talents in the world are not going to be on the same team uh, playing together, which is just going to be incredible. And both, have been Manchester City fans since they were a boy, obviously, Foden coming up through the academy. Uh, And then, of course, Julian Alvarez, who was assigned a couple months ago by Manchester City, is now going to be the backup and to Holland probably. And, I mean, two really young, promising strikers for Manchester City uh, to develop in the absence of Aguero and have been trying to fill that gap. Finally, uh, it seems that they have... Uh, been able to replace him, the, that famous Pep Guardiola quote, quote, we cannot replace him, but it seems finally uh, with this Holland transfer that they have, the you know the biggest question mark around Holland is can he adapt to the Premier League and the difficulty? I think that there's going to be no problems uh, with him adapting. You see when he got to the Bundesliga with Dortmund, his debut 23 minutes off the bench, hat-trick, uh, you can say, okay, it's the Bundesliga. It's a farmer's league. Okay. Well, in his first game in the champions league, uh, he had a first half hat trick for Salzburg in, you know, the biggest competition he's played in. So he rises to whatever occasion. Uh, and that is why I think that he will hit the ground running. I think that he will, uh, win the premier league golden boot. And I think Kevin De Bruyne will break his own, uh, Premier League assists record which you know he and Thierry Henry both have 20 assists in a single Premier League season but I think he will break that record and the the records that Manchester City will break next season uh, people aren't ready for I think that you know any competition they can go and win including that Champions League maybe Holland can finally get it done
1: yeah, I mean, I think in terms of how it impacts the Premier League, I think City are going to win it this year, and I don't really see that changing with this happening, obviously. I think the real question is, will they stop bottling it in the Champions League, Justin? That is our segue to have it. We have to talk about it. <sighs> One of the most insane bottle jobs I've ever seen in my life. I, I'm sorry to break it to you, but, I mean, Justin, I was, uh, I had it up on my phone. I was uh, in class, and I put my phone down on my desk. It was one nil city after Mars goal 88th minute. I was like, ah, they've got it under wraps, Liverpool city, UCL final. It's what football wanted, you know, but the best two teams in the world, uh, I do this activity, come back to my phone and it's two one. And I'm like, what?
0: Oh man, that was the most brutal, what? Three, three minutes and then six minutes of, I mean, I can't even put it into words how painful that was. Um, you Know once the first one went in for Real Madrid, I just the second one's coming. I mean, Real Madrid, this is the story of their season, uh, in the Champions League, isn't it? Because in the round of 16, they trailed 2 0 uh, in the 60th minute against PSG, they won that 3 2. Uh, they trailed 4 3 in the 79th minute against Chelsea, won that 5 4 in extra time, and then of course, they were down. By five goals to three on aggregate in the 89th minute, they had a one percent chance of qualification. Manchester City 99 percent in the Champions League final, uh, and as you say, I mean that is as big of a bottle as it can get. Uh, it, it is painful, and as you say, not only is it what uh, Real Madrid have done this season, it's what Manchester City have done for years. It, it's. I mean, I don't know if this is the most painful one because obviously the the final last season was disappointing. I don't think it was quite as painful just because of the the way it happened uh, was ridiculous. Uh, getting beat by Lyon was embarrassing, but it wasn't this painful. The, the one that really sticks to me, uh, you know, even Liverpool obviously uh, beat us 2017-18. That was not good, but but it was also, you know, just they outplayed us and we deserve to lose that probably. And then uh, Monaco also embarrassing, but that Monaco team was, was, was insane. Wasn't it? They to were, me the one. Yeah. Yeah. To me, the one that, that really sticks is Tottenham because it was similar to this. It was uh, so close. It was late goals. It was Raheem Sterling scoring the goal. And you thought that we were through and then Vir takes it away. And it's just all the emotions. It's the only one I can compare to this, but this is, this is worse, man. It really is. It's completely painful. And then you go to extra time and you know that we're just uh, not going to be able to, to win, even in the second half of extra time after we were, we just couldn't create anything. I mean, there was nothing creative. Uh, The Grealish had a chance to make it three nil that would have put it away or two nil in the game. Sorry. Uh, That would have put it away. Didn't happen. Uh, And you know, uh, you can criticize Pep for bringing off Kevin De Bruyne, but, you know, the goal was scored after he was came, he came off. So is it really that? I, I don't know. The game flow chart would tell you Manchester City were the better side. To me, Real Madrid were the better side in this game and deserved this win. Uh, I think it's the first leg uh, when you only win 4-3 because you had an, an incredible amount of chances. I think that's where you really have to look and say that is why Manchester City didn't win this tie. Um and just the mentality you've been—I said it before the game—mentality is going to be so big in this game because uh, Real Madrid are are the kings of this competition, right? And Manchester City are the minnows trying to finally get uh, a win in this competition. Kyle Walker was incredible until he had to come off, uh, and that was, you know, not helpful as well. Unfortunate penalty call. Um, the we can you can look at the refereeing because Casemiro should have been off the pitch, right? He yeah, had at least yeah. at least three definite yellow cards, um, one with a scissor tackle on Kevin De Bruyne, immediate yellow card, no questions. Pulling back Phil Foden by his shirt from behind, I've never seen that not given as a yellow card. It's the first time I've ever seen that in my life, honestly. Uh, and then I believe the third one was on Bernardo Silva from behind you know, a similar scissor tackle to what he did to correct Kevin De Bruyne. That's three. Uh, he didn't get a single of those yellow cards. It, it really is mind-boggling that. But but you can't blame uh, even that because you should have been able to, to win this game.
1: Yeah, I mean, you say Holland, you know, can solve the problem of scoring goals, but scoring goals wasn't your problem in this tie you had 5 that should be enough to get through it was conceding that was the problem and conceding in flurries in bursts it's been what's been undoing city for a long time in the champions league is you know you have a lead and then you you gave up two goals in 60 seconds essentially and that's what you know ends up getting madrid back in it they have all the momentum they're at home they have magic and then Kareem benzema's never missing that penalty he's just not going to So, I mean, as much as, yes, Holland will help going forward, I think questions need to be asked of Laporte. I did not think he was good in this game, especially in the crucial moments. Obviously, Ruben Diaz being injured now is not great for your title charge. So, I mean, yeah, it's just getting a bit inexplicable that City keep bottling it like this. And I do think that it impacts Pep Guardiola's legacy. I really do. I just don't see how you can do this for like seven years in a row and not have it impact your legacy. It's a bit mental to me. Um, And then just on a quick side note about Casemiro, I feel like this is becoming a trend now, Justin, we're seeing it a lot where players should be, you know, there's players who have two, three, four yellow card tackles in a game and they're just getting away with it. And in that Spurs Liverpool game, I forgot to mention this earlier. Fabinho had about four yellow card offenses in that game and did not get booked. Uh, and then it was like, it's just inexplicable to me. So, um, yeah, that, that was a definitely a good point. Casemiro should not been on the pitch. And before we move on to Liverpool, Justin, one other thing that I, I tweeted this right after uh, full time in the second leg at the Bernabeu. I said, surely that was the most dramatic Champions League semifinal tie of all time. I still cannot believe what happened. And obviously we've seen some contenders with Spurs and Ajax and a corner taken quickly, but I mean, two goals in 60 seconds when you're about to get knocked out. I mean, and especially when you, when you consider that first leg four, three, all over the place, we were talking about that being the best first leg. And then this was one of the most dramatic second legs I've ever seen. So uh, as much as it sucks, you came out on the wrong end, Justin, uh, from a relatively neutral perspective, this was a unbelievable semifinal to watch.
0: Absolutely. And yeah, as we get to the Liverpool game, um, all I'll say is have to root for Madrid in the final now. Yeah. I'm
1: not happy about it either. Uh, you know, Ancelotti had some interesting comments after the game saying, Oh, it's a derby for me. Cause I'm still an Evertonian. I don't know if I'm buying that. I have very mixed emotions. Cause at one time I'm like, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. And I like that. He's still, you know, saying he supports us, but at the same time, he also lied to us so many times and turned around and left at his first opportunity, essentially that. I don't know if I can believe anything that comes out of his mouth at this point. Mm. Uh,
0: yes, but it was uh, Liverpool uh, getting the job done. And as you say, it was a little bit eventful uh, because it was Via uh, Villarreal going up to nil and You know, leveling the tie on aggregate. And you thought, okay, wow. Like we were talking about how the tie was dead going into the second leg uh, because we didn't think that Vireal would be able to score two goals. Uh, But they were able to do that before halftime. Going into half, they were up uh, 2 0, and Liverpool just turned it on in the second half, didn't they?
1: Well, they either turned it on, and you could say they brought Luis Diaz on at half with, which obviously paid off a bit, but also Geronimo Rulli, man, come on. (laughs) One of the worst goalkeeping performances I've ever seen. Like, it's up there with Loris Karius, in my mind, in the absolute clutch. Obviously, this is the semifinal, not the final. Karius gave two goals away, right? The the other goal that he conceded was Gareth Bale's uh, bicycle kick, which was arguably the greatest goal in the history of the Champions League final. But I mean, Geronimo Rulli basically gave away three goals in this game. The Fabinho shot, how he doesn't say that, I don't understand. Luis Diaz's header obviously is from close range, but it's still another meg. Like David De Gea kicks both of those away without even thinking about it. And then the Mane goal, Rulli comes way out of his goal thinking he's Manuel Neuer or something. And, you know, there's a couple deflections, just comes to Mane and he taps it in. And it's just he completely threw this tie away for Villarreal, who had all the momentum in the first half um you know had Etienne Capoue out there just running the Liverpool midfield ragged um but you know goalkeeping is a big part of winning trophies we've seen that in shootouts recently uh you know with Chelsea and City getting knocked out in the FA Cup semis and stuff like that and Geronimo really was not up to the task and Justin my kind of question about this is, do you think the concept of cup goalkeepers really makes much sense? Because Geronimo really is not B-Real's best goalkeeper. Sergio Asenjo is, and he doesn't play in the Champions League. It's only Ruli, and then this happens.
0: I think for domestic cups, I understand it because you want to give your backup goalkeeper at least some minutes, some games, right? um and not just have them sit because if they need to come off the bench at some point they need to have had some minutes in their legs and you i mean goalkeepers don't need necessarily rest like you know outfield players do but you know still give them a little rest in the champions league much less a champions league semifinal no i don't think it's the right decision at all
1: and with this win justin liverpool became the first ever english club to reach the champions league final FA Cup final and League Cup final in the same season. Obviously, it seems like the quadruple will not be on after they drop points uh, against Spurs, but the treble is still very much a possibility here. Obviously, we now have that Champions League final set. It's Liverpool versus Madrid, a rematch of that Loris Carius game, obviously, in 2019. Um, And, yeah, I mean, it's kind of of a worst-case scenario for me. Oh yeah, speaking of that,
0: just speaking of that game Salah uh said before the Madrid City second leg that he wants Real Madrid because he wants his revenge after, you know, Ramos pulled his arm and he hurt his shoulder and he didn't get to play that final. Um basically he he's, he wants his revenge, so we'll we'll see there.
1: Yeah, it, this is kind of worst-case scenario for me because I I do not like Real Madrid and I do not like Carlo Ancelotti at the moment. Uh and obviously the other, you know, Liverpool. I, I don't even need to explain that. So it's kind of a worst case scenario for me, Justin, but you're pulling for Madrid. Um, yeah. You know, don't want Liverpool to. to get another one before you get one. That would be a bit problematic in terms of a uh, trash talk amongst Premier League fans. But uh, yeah, should be a, a really entertaining final. Uh, we'll see what happens. And then Justin, we can move to, the, uh, some of the other European competitions. The Europa League had their semifinals. We have the final set for that Rangers of all teams, which is quite incredible that they've made it to the Europa League final. will be facing off against Frankfurt who have dispatched of Barcelona and West Ham in consecutive rounds, which is very impressive. So that should be another fantastic final to watch.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about, you know, Premier League supremacy and, oh, we could have a, a Champions League final with two Premier League teams and we could have a, a Premier League team win each of the three European uh, competitions. Well, the semifinals took a massive hit there because City knocked out. West Ham in the Europa League semifinals lost to Frankfurt, out. No more Premier League team there, can't win. Lesser City in the Conference League, which we'll get to in a minute, they're out. It... it it just got interesting because now we have Rangers who, you know, didn't aren't even winning the the Scottish Premiership, uh, and we have Eintracht Frankfurt who are currently in twelfth in the Bundesliga. Um, you know, we just have it, it. That's how you know that these uh, European competitions, these tournaments, are are so random. Uh, they they take luck, but they also take um, you know just different tactics and. Um, Clutch moments, all types of different things that come into this that are, are so much different uh, than competing in a league. So, Frankfurt Rangers, uh, both of them with their chance to win uh, a trophy this season, they are, are both going to you know play their hearts out. It's going to be a good final. And then yeah, in the I was Go just
1: ahead. I was just going to say Rangers. The fact that, so I said it was, what Frankfurt did was very impressive, right? Barcelona, West Ham. I mean, Rangers beat RB Leipzig, which is one of the top teams in Germany. And they came from behind to do it Mm -hmm. uh, at the Ibrox, which was, you know, expectedly going absolutely bananas when this happened. We know Rangers and Celtic both have incredible fan bases, but I just think it's, it's wild that they managed
0: to get this far. And I'm rooting for them in the final for sure. In the other final, it is Roma against Firenord. Uh, again, these teams are not, you know, the top teams in their league. Fire Nord third in the Eritivizi, Roma in sixth uh, in, in Serie A. Which at the beginning of the season, I thought Roma had, had a good squad and, and could compete, maybe even get a Champions League spot, uh, which doesn't seem like it's happening right now. But Jose Mourinho was crying after the semifinal, uh, fi- getting Roma into a final. Uh, He made a joke in his press conference that winning a semifinal gets you into a final, unless you get sacked. Of course.
1: (laughs) I didn't hear that. I love the shots at Spurs. They're still so dumb for that, but yeah, Roma with the talisman, Tammy Abraham. I mean, this was a shite house of a second leg for Roma. When you look at it, 68% possession for Lester, 13 shots to Roma's four, but they both had two on target Um, and Leicester's goal actually came through an own goal, but Roma doing enough. um, And and you say they're not a top team in Italy, and and that's true, but this is the Conference League, so you're not going to have many top teams in it.
0: True, true, but it's still, yeah, they're they're probably, are they the best Italian team uh, in this competition? They might be. So, fair enough there, but, uh, you know, still beating Leicester uh, is an impressive win, although you know, Everton just did it. So maybe not so much.
1: <laughs> wow. No, no. I mean, lesser in 14th, to be <laughs> fair. They they have not been good this season. And honestly, Justin, I'd be a bit surprised if Brendan Rogers was still in this job come next season because the drop-off has been just unprecedented, almost winning the FA cup bottling. I mean, they're, they're good at bottling things in may to be fair. You know, they did it two years in a row, somehow not getting Champions League qualification.
0: But now 14th, losing to Everton, uh, yeah, not great. Not great. Uh, and then moving from the Champions League, the European competitions, to CONCACAF. Uh, it is the CONCACAF Champions League final uh, at Lumen Field, a record crowd in Seattle. Uh, and we predicted it, Seattle getting the win, three nil a, a very commanding performance from Seattle on um, Raul Ruiz Diaz with a really impressive performance getting on the score sheet as well I mean all we can say is this is Seattle they're the first team to ever win this Champions League from MLS in the 14 years of its existence uh, finally it's been done and now hopefully many more MLS teams can do it
1: yeah and you know we we Talked about it pretty extensively. I mean, Seattle are one of the paramount franchises in this league. And, you know, I have absolutely no problem with them being the ones to break this wall, to break this glass ceiling for MLS clubs. Um, they deserve it. Although, you know, they've been shaky in the league. I mean, this was a commanding victory for them 5 2 on aggregate, um, you know, didn't lose either of the final legs. So, Yeah, well done, Seattle. The scenes at Lumen Field were pretty fantastic and, you know, really excited to see how the MLS can compete going forward in this competition for the years to come.
0: Absolutely. Congratulations to Seattle. Well deserved. And then moving elsewhere in MLS, uh, we had a couple trades, which we'll keep you up to date on. Uh, Chase Gasper went from Minnesota to uh, the galaxy for $450,000 in 2023 gam. Yeah, it is a lot. That's that was my first reaction. I think maybe because it's not uh, money from this year, it's money from next year. So they had to bump it up a little bit, maybe, Um, but still seems like a lot. Gasper got his first minutes for galaxy this weekend. Uh, And then Jake Mulraney went from Atlanta to Orlando for uh, 200,000 up to 275. If the incentives are met, uh, also in general allocation money, but I mean, Jake Moraney, a good player. I don't know why he's, you know, half the price of Chase Gasper, a little bit confusing to me there.
1: Yeah. I think the thing about the future game it must be part of it, but I mean, it's next year. It's not like this is way down the line. So it still right. seems like that's an overspend from the galaxy um, and, and a pretty decent deal for Orlando.
0: Absolutely. And then, more news coming out of ATL. Uh, this was bad news. Obviously, the game was good news. They they smashed uh, Chicago 4-1. Uh, Cisneros got a hat trick. Uh, but the bad news: Miles Robinson has torn his Achilles in that game, um, and is likely, you know, out of the World Cup for the United States. Very unfortunate for him and the team because you know he has been a, a basically a lock starter at that center back position for a few months now. Uh, and which you know, a few months is what it's going to take to get over this uh, injury. Probably about six months, so it's just it's just going to take too long with the uh, World Cup in November. But this is what I will always say, man: we need to not have turf in the MLS. It leads to too many injuries, and until we get rid of turf in this league, uh, it's just going to continue to cause a problem.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And and just in terms of now the center back situation for the USMNT, I think. We would be really surprised not to see John Brooks getting called back into camp. We know that he's not particularly been on Berhalter's good side since dropping some pretty poor performances towards the beginning of World Cup qualifying. But with Miles Robinson, who you're right, was, uh, you know, has been a locked in starter, had some big moments, you know, such as his goal against Mexico in the Gold Cup final. Uh, So it is a big loss. But hopefully John Brooks can come in and, and, you know, be a veteran next to likely Walker Zimmerman or whoever, whoever else it might be. I'd be surprised if it were uh, like Chris Richards or something. So Brooks and, and Zimmerman, I think we might end up seeing that being the center back partnership. But Justin, what do you think about that?
0: This is a big debate uh, among the USMNT fans right now, right? Because the, look, John Brooks should be in the camp. He should be on the USMNT roster and he should be a starter for the US national team. But I don't think it will happen. I don't think that Berhalter going to call him in because all the reports are saying that the relationship that they have is not getting any better. Uh, it's is just not interested in bringing Brooks back to the national team, which is just detrimental, really. Uh, It's another reason uh, to be Berhalter out. It's just not uh, logical to allow your best players to not be in the squad just because you don't have a a good personal relationship with them. Not to mention as a coach, that's your job uh, is to have a good relationship with them and make them want to play under you. But it is very disappointing to me that I have to say that I don't think Brooks is going to be called up.
1: So we'll see who ends up filling in. That's definitely going to be a big discussion over the next few months, Justin, but turning back towards MLS, some other action this week, we had Shinya Shiki, who we talked about that transfer from Colorado last week. He scored on his debut for Charlotte in their one-nil win Over Inter Miami, Uh, so that's pretty interesting to see. You know, we talked about that transfer, how it made sense for both sides, and he's hit the ground running already. As you mentioned, Ronaldo Cisneros with that hat trick for Atlanta, obviously on loan from Chivas. Great performance from him. And then Justin, there's a bit of a of a debate about the goal of the week. Um, You know, I, I wouldn't say this has been the strongest week. It's probably been arguably the the weakest week in terms of MLS goals. Uh, in the hashtag League of Bangers. But right now, <laughs> Cisneros' first goal is dominating the poll on Twitter, even though you and I both think it's not, it, it should not be the goal of the week.
0: Yeah. Uh, as you say, Cisneros, look, Atlanta fans, I love you. Go dominate the poll, man. But that is not the goal of the week. Uh, as you say, yeah, League of Bangers, as we always uh, coin it. But it, it's just – it hasn't been that week because – to me, the goal of the week is Julian Carranza uh, against my LAFC. The The second goal for Philly, it was really impressive. I When I watched it, I was like, oh, he missed it. And then I was like, oh, no, that bent in. It was very um, Carlos Velasque, uh, honestly, you know, against LAFC on that left foot, just inside of the box. He just got an insane amount of bend on it that it, it's really, I just... Don't know how you even score from that angle. Uh, Maxime Cropo completely laying out to his right side, not able to even come close to it. Uh, Definitely goal of the week for me.
1: Yeah, I think the most important or the most impressive, rather, thing about it is that he's like slipping in the middle of the shot. He's literally falling over, still manages to bend it around a defender and perfectly into the side netting. And Crapo, who's one of the top keepers in MLS full extension, and and he's never saving that. It's an incredible finish. Like the margin for error there is zero, and, and that's what he hit. So I agree. I think that's an incredibly impressive finish. Um, you know, falling over into the side netting like that with that amount of bend, definitely goal of the week for me. And then one other piece of controversy from this week, Justin, was in an all-Canadian affair, Toronto versus Vancouver, and one of the most inexplicable disallowed goals I've ever seen. Uh, They basically ruled that the goalkeeper, the Vancouver goalkeeper, had possession of the ball uh, when it was then tapped in by Toronto. And he did not. And it was not even close. The ball was a solid six inches away from his glove on the ground and the goal gets disallowed and Toronto ends up losing one and, nil. And that is just a disgrace of a refereeing decision. And the fact that VAR didn't stop this and, and, you know, tell the ref to go to the screen and immediately see how bad of a mistake that was is
0: just shocking to me absolutely there was you know controversy also over uh the penalty given to toronto uh early on but i think that that was the correct call uh you know uh, uh, arm away from the body it's unfortunate uh, but you you got to keep your arms uh close to your body and that was a penalty poswell missed it anyway right yeah right yeah he, he did uh and then as you say yeah just the the I don't know how uh, that goal was disallowed because the goalkeeper had uh, zero uh, fingers on it. That's uh, all actually injured himself uh, on that play. Uh, and, you know, had to bring in uh, their backup goalkeeper, but yeah he just he wasn't even close to the ball like it was a good six inches away he had already fumbled the ball out to say that he had uh at least a couple fingers on it is just ridiculous and you can very see easily see it on the replay for var not to overturn that um it is just ridiculous honestly but for toronto i mean it just fits with their how they've been playing because it's been a poor season for them. You know, their first season under Bob Bradley, obviously uh, came in on a big contract. Uh, he's, he's the coach. He's the GM. He gets to make all the decisions basically in Toronto. Um, but they're not working out yet because they're sitting in 12th place. They're sitting, you know, right at the bottom of the Eastern conference. They've played 11 games. Uh, most teams have only played 10 or a couple nine. nine. Um, so, Poor amount of uh, poor performances throughout. And the question I have for you, Garrett, is you know, Bob Bradley's making these decisions. His biggest decision has been to sign Lorenzo Insigne, who obviously isn't here yet, but will be here in about a month or two. Can he save Toronto this season? I think, yes, I do.
1: I mean, he's still at a really high level, and we saw that, you know, in the Euros last summer. He was playing phenomenally for Italy, and obviously, I'm not, you know, it he'll he's likely, you know, dropped off a bit since then. But the fact that that was only about a year ago now, I mean, he's still going to be at a level that is, you know, elite for for MLS. Um, so I think he can, and you know, a lot of things are not going their way, missing the penalty incredibly having that goal disallowed for basically no reason. And then conceding a 90th minute winner, like that's just unlucky. And and you're right. They should be doing better. And I think they will. And especially when you add in Signe, who I think will immediately become one of the best players in the league. Um, uh, Yeah. I I think saving depends what parameters you're looking at that with, but I definitely think they'll still be in in the playoff playoffs. Yeah, can you get I, them in the
0: playoffs to saving them?
1: They will be in the race 100%. It, it is possible that they don't end up making the playoffs just because of how some other teams are playing, but they're definitely, definitely not going to be sitting in 12.
0: Yeah, they if they don't make the playoffs, that is definitely a disappointment uh, for this Toronto team. But, I mean, the story is, of the season for them is just inconsistency, right? They've beaten Philadelphia. They beat New York City. They also got lost to New York city in, in a wild one, but they lost twice to Cincinnati. I mean, then, then Vancouver, obviously who aren't very good right now, it's just very, very inconsistent. But I think that if you put uh Lorenzo Insigne and Pozuelo in the same team, uh, even if your defense isn't amazing, if you can't outscore the other team with those guys in your team, you're, I mean, Bob Bradley is doing some, um, Magic to, to fail there if he can't get those guys clicking. Uh, so, yes, I think that he should uh, turn them around. And speaking of turning them around, it's your team, Garrett, who I believe got their first clean sheet of the season. Uh, Correct. 1-0 one nil, one nil over Colorado with Nathan coming back from injury, who's been out for a long time, uh, obviously contributes to that clean sheet uh, at center back, but also got the goal uh, for the win and second win in uh, uh, under Covello. Is Cavelo turning San Jose around, the interim manager?
1: A bit, for sure. I mean, the performance at New York wasn't awful, but, I mean, we lost 3-0 because we just didn't capitalize, and there was some sloppy defending, and there's still a lot of kinks that need to be ironed out. But, I mean, he's doing a lot better than Almeida. That's for sure. He's doing a lot better than Almeida, which I think just goes to prove my point that Almeida was not the right fit, that Almeida is a bit fraudulent, and we'll see how he does in Greece, but that also kind of shows you his level, doesn't it? Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely encouraging to see uh, we have the U.S. Open Cup game against Seattle on Wednesday, so that's going to be a tough one as well. But then Vancouver and Portland right after that, who are both not playing well at the moment. So pick up another couple wins and, you know, all of a sudden the season is alive. The playoff hopes are not dead quite yet. So, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty happy with the job Cavella is doing thus far for sure.
0: Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, how long he gets the job? Does he get it for, you know, a, a while, even the rest of the season, potentially uh, does he get appointed manager or do, are they looking for somebody big? Uh, that's what I've heard at least is they're, they're trying to find somebody um, that that can be a, a big name and come in uh, to, to turn this team around and turn them into a playoff contender. Because as we've said at the beginning of the season, this roster should be um, a playoff contender at the very least, but uh, moving elsewhere, we talked about Seattle winning the Champions League. They had a heavily rotated side against Dallas uh, and lost. So I think that that's understandable. I think that next week um, in, in Seattle's next game against uh, Minnesota, obviously they have your San Jose midweek uh, uh, in the U.S. Open Cup, but Minnesota um, moving on outward is is how we can start judging Seattle in the league at least because we know we haven't been really um, – putting judgment on them because they've been focused on CCL and obviously have not been performing, sitting all the way uh, basically at the bottom in 13th of the Western Conference. Uh, The story of this game, though, was uh, Jesus Ferreira passing his dad in MLS goals, uh, carrying on that Texan legacy. Uh, Great to see from him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he should be top of the golden boot race right now as well because he should have had a second where he had he had two bites at the cherry and, and couldn't convert on either of them. But, you know, he's having a great season. We like to see that as USMNT fans. You know, mm-hmm. he ended World Cup qualifying on a really solid note. So uh, definitely exciting to see him playing well. And hopefully, you know, he can have an impact uh, for the US at the World Cup. That would be great to see.
0: Absolutely. And then uh, a big result uh, in Canada, we we covered the other Canadian game. This was Montreal putting a whooping to Orlando City, uh, a couple late goals to to make the scoreline a little bit nicer. But four one, Montreal um, having a really nice season. Georgie Malhalovic having an MVP caliber season. Montreal 100%. now sitting, Montreal now sitting in third place uh, on seventeen points. The question I have about this is: Is Montreal for real?
1: Yeah. Montreal are for real. Um, I mean, just players all over the pitch contributing and you talk about Mihalovich, and that's, you know, kind of the, the central point. And he is at the moment, one of the best players in the league. Um, you know, I, I think they're for real. I, I think, I mean, their goal difference is only one at the moment, which is not the most solid, but I mean the Eastern conference, you know, there's some decent teams But the fact that Cincinnati are up into fifth right now, kind of tells you that, you know, the East is still up for grabs for sure. Um, Philly will likely win it. We, we think they're the best team in the East for sure. But Montreal, I could easily see them finishing where they are right now in, you know, second, third, fourth, somewhere in there and then making a run. Who knows? So I, I think Montreal are definitely for real. Still some, some kinks to iron out, but if their high level players keep playing like this, I don't see a reason why they can't
0: be a, a team really to worry about going forward in this league. Montreal are absolutely for real. Not only are they in third place, you know, playing really well, the season that they have played already, they have gotten their toughest fixtures out of the way. They've already beaten Red Bull. They drew with Philadelphia and also lost to Philadelphia. So they've already gotten both their Philadelphia games out of the way. Uh, and New York, obviously sitting in second place, beat them. Uh, they did lose to Orlando in Orlando, but, you know, got the wind uh, on the reverse fixture and, uh, beat Atlanta, who also, as we mentioned, got a 4-1 win. They're beating good, good teams uh, and showing, and they also drew with Atlanta 3-3. Uh, so getting the big, the hard games out of the way and still getting results uh, from them, the rest of the season is just going to get easier when you play your hard games uh, because the hardest games that they have the rest of the season are mostly going to come for the Western Conference because they've already gotten their hard Eastern Conference games out of the way it tells you that Montreal are our serious contender in the Eastern conference. I think you can kind of apply that same concept
1: to Nashville, Justin, because although the fixtures, you know, in terms of who they're playing is not, as favorable in terms of, you know, they've gotten all their hard games out of the way, but they played so many road games to start the year that they're going to have a lot of home games going forward. And they will be capitalizing on that brand new atmosphere at Geodis Park, as we talked about last week. So I think the same uh, concept applies to them and we could definitely see them rising up in the table just due to the pure
0: amount of home fixtures that they're going to have. And that is a perfect transition, Garrett, because the other topic I wanted to bring up is the just the overall topic of expansion teams, uh, and in the past in MLS, uh, in the past few years, you know they have really struggled uh, to to fit in, and they've always sat at the bottom of the league. There've been you know easy wins, which you don't necessarily have in MLS all the time, where you think, okay, we go there and it's an automatic three points. Um, that has been a few teams, uh, you know, Cincinnati, Inter Miami. Uh, Nashville, their first season were great, but they were better, you know, last season. Um, Austin were not very good last season, pretty easy to win games, but now you look at it, Cincinnati all the way up in fifth place, Charlotte in their first season in eighth, uh, Atlanta have, you know, it's, Atlanta have always been doing it. It's been Atlanta and LAFC that were the two that really fit in. But now, um, Inter-Miami, even though, you know, they're still not great, they're, you know, on 10 points, they're at least able to win a game. Um, they have three wins on the season already. So it's a little bit different. Uh, Austin, obviously competing at the top of the Western conference, uh, which we'll get to in a minute and Nashville, of course, I mean, all of these teams finally fitting into the MLS. It seems to me.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's good to see as well. Um, and if anything, some of the older clubs are really struggling at the moment, you know, looking at your, your, Toronto and your DC who have been around for a long time. And mm-hmm. you know, the quakes founding members, obviously, you know, Seattle in 13th, but they've only played eight games. So that's a little bit different, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And looking at the playoff spots right now, there's a lot of teams that we've seen their inception within the last five, six years. So no, I totally agree with you.
0: Yeah, really, really is good to see. Um, And then moving on to specific fixtures, we are, there were there were a couple really really good games a lot of that I mean this this week because there weren't that many great ones last week um, but we had starting with uh, the second versus the third in the Western Conference uh, it is Austin uh, hosting LA Galaxy at the Q2 Stadium going into this game obviously uh, Austin were sitting in second place Galaxy sitting in third place in the Western Conference. Uh, a massive game. Austin could go back top of uh, the Western conference and, and top of MLS if they were able to win this game, but they weren't Garrett. It was a rather boring game, a little bit weird, uh, not too many chances. Uh, the one goal that came, came from Marco Delgado, a result of a poor defensive clearance. And he just buried it from about 30 yards into that corner, poor goalkeeping as well, in my opinion, from Tarbell and, um, and that was the only goal of the game uh, early in the sixth minute and just not very exciting as you would have hoped this game would have been uh, in Austin.
1: Yeah, I mean, Drew, had some chances to score for sure. He hit the post from a free kick, but um, 13 shots, two on target, just not clinical enough uh, from Austin. they were, Their quality in the final third was lacking and the Galaxies wasn't because they had that fantastic finish. Um, which was almost not in the final third considering how far out it was, but, you know, in off the post, bottom corner, <laughs> kind of the hardest thing for a keeper to save. Um, and and they rode that, you know, sixth minute, and, and they defended well enough that that ended up being enough for them to
0: pick up the win. And that has become the story of the Galaxy season, huh? They're kind of one nil merchants. I believe that's the fourth nil yeah. win that they have uh, this season. They've also lost one nil to Orlando City. That is what they do. They... Just score a goal and defend. It seems.
1: To be fair, they could have also won this two 0 because
0: Chicharito missed an absolute sitter at oh, the back post. You don't got to tell me that was ridiculous. Didn't have his face to help him out on this one, did he? Um, but just <laughs> embarrassing uh, from Chicharito. I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to believe this guy's the best striker in the league. Uh, I, I can't. Can't be told that. Um, so, but Galaxy did close the gap on Austin now uh, to only one point. Uh, Austin still sits in second though galaxy third uh, Dallas also uh, on 19 points in fourth. And then the biggest game of the week, which you would think, you know, two versus three in a conference, probably the biggest game of the week. Nope. We had one versus one LAFC versus Philly, the top of the West versus the top of the East uh, at the bank of California stadium. It was an entertaining game uh, for sure. Definitely, uh, dominated by LAFC Philadelphia, you know, only two shots on target, but they buried both of those shots on target. One of them we discussed earlier as the goal of the week, Julian Carranza, the second one. Um, but it, it was Gazdag getting the first, uh, goal in the ninth minute for Philadelphia, who by the way, is also having an incredible season, uh, MVP caliber needs to be talked about, um. But LFC had, you know, three chances in the first 10 minutes, dominating that first 10 minutes, but it was Philly finding the goal against the run of play. Uh, and then uh, Apoku finding the equalizer, Philly up again, Franco Escobar equalizer in the 82nd. So it, it's, again, we talked about, you know, Galaxy have their story, LFC have their story as well, which is they don't play great in the first half. They go down usually, um, but they come back and find a winner, a draw. They now, after going down, uh, in games they have three wins two draws and one loss on the season so that's a great record when you go down but shouldn't be going down so often uh, as a top team yeah
1: I mean a lot of visiting teams have been able to take the lead at the Bank of California Stadium and that's Honestly, probably been LAFC's biggest concern so far this season because otherwise, uh, you know, it's been going pretty well, found a way to get back in this game. And then Justin Mabadu fall with the bicycle kick, basically mm. with the last kick of the game, but it gets cleared off the line. If that had gone in, man, that, I mean, there's your goal of the week and, and definitely it would be a goal of the season contender likely.
0: Absolutely. And I'm glad you bring up Mamadou fall because this is a guy that, The entire league doesn't know about yet, but they're about to, and they should be paying attention because Mamadou Fall is a young 19 year old center back. He's got all the physical attributes you could want. Uh, He people, his nickname is air Senegal because he is so dangerous on set pieces. He can get above basically anybody uh, in the league. Uh, He's still a little bit raw defending, but he, He's, you know, improving. He's still young, uh, but this is a guy who's going to move to Europe very soon uh, and could make uh, a big splash. So keep your eyes on him.
1: And with that, Justin, we can bring this episode towards its end, but we have a bit of a new segment this week called our moment of the week. So we've each picked uh, a moment or an event at some point during this week that we haven't already mentioned um, just to, to highlight. So I'll go ahead and start that, Justin. Mine has to be Bristol Rovers securing promotion automatic promotion to league one in the most dramatic of fashion going into the final day. They were level on points with Northampton, but Northampton's goal difference was better by four, which means that they needed a five goal difference swing um, in order to, to get that automatic promotion. Northampton won three, one. um, and, And so what ended up happening was Bristol Rovers needed to win by seven goals to secure automatic promotion, Justin, and they did it. Absolutely insane from Joey Barton's side. He's the manager of all people, which is a bit crazy because when you think of a team, you know, free-flowing, attacking seven goals, you're not thinking of uh, Joey Barton, are you? But uh, an incredible p- performance there and a-, a miracle in
0: the lower leagues. And I-, I just thought that
1: was absolutely incredible to see.
0: Absolutely, Garrett. And I love that we brought this new segment of our moment of the week into these episodes because these this needs to be talked about and we normally wouldn't be covering you know lower leagues or random leagues around the world that uh, that we don't normally get to uh, but these moments that uh, are just so incredible need to be uh, covered and so I'm glad that we we're doing it uh, that's an amazing one that you have for me it was Turkish side Trabzonspor who have won the league for the first time in 38 years. But that wasn't the only incredible part about it, Garrett. It was their fans. Um, it they came out to the city square and packed it out. For, I mean, it looks like a helicopter shot above the above everybody. It is just cell phone lights and, and partying in the streets. You cannot see where it ends. Uh, it is incredible to see where these, uh, you know, the Turkey. Uh, has been dominated by a few clubs. Right there are, are some big clubs in uh, Turkey. We know Galatasaray, Besiktas, Fenerbahce. These are the three teams that are usually, you know, dominating this league. But uh, not this time. For the first time in 38 years, Trabzonspor has won the league. Their fans were out in numbers. I encourage you to go find this video. Um, it's amazing. It, it is unbelievable. The, the, the video I'm looking at is on Instagram, uh, 12th Man Social, uh, if you want to see it.
1: And with that, Justin, that brings this episode to an end. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at U90Football, that's U90Football, and on Instagram at U90FootballPod. Um, we will be you know bringing a lot of content on both of those platforms um, from these episodes and other things. Uh, so be sure to go follow us over there. Um, thank you so much for listening again, uh, and we will see you next week.